Please be seated and please turn to Genesis chapter 42. Happen to be on page 42 of the Bible. <laughs> and if you open out your bulletin in the middle, uh, there will be an outline for you to follow. Uh, the one for 6 p.m. is on the left hand side of the middle page. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us uh, to be attentive to your word and uh, to see how uh, your salvation plan unfolds in history. We pray this in the Son, Jesus' name. Amen. In 2008, Malaysia's badminton hero, Dato Lee Chong Wei, reached his first ever final in the Olympic badminton games, raising hope at that time for the first ever goal for Malaysia. Those of you who watched that match will remember that Lee Chong Wei suffered a crushing defeat at the, at the hand of the great Lin Dan, losing 21-12 and then 21-8 in straight sets. Four years later, in 2012 Olympic, Lee Chong Wei reached the final again for the second time in a row. And again, he faced Lin Dan in the final match for glory. It was a second chance for Lee Chong Wei to make things right, to get an important victory for himself and for Malaysia. He won the first game, but then he lose, lost the second game. And in the final rubber game, he was leading 19-18, just two points for a famous victory. But as we know what happened, in the end, Lin Dan scored the next three points and won the Olympic gold again. On the other hand, the elusive Olympic goal eluded Lee Chong Wei again for the second time running. Uh, why do I mention Lee Chong Wei's two failed attempts at Olympic goal? Because he failed to capitalize on the second chance presented before him. The second chance was as, as, exactly the same as it was four years ago. In our passage today in Genesis, there were also a group of people who were given a second chance. Who were they? They were the ten brothers of Joseph. In these four chapters of Genesis 42 to 45, they were given a second chance to make things right after failing so miserably in the previous occasion. We will find out what happened and how they happened in this episode of history. But just as recap a little bit, just before our passage today, we have seen previously that Joseph has risen to a powerful position in Egypt. And because he risen to that position because of the two dreams that he interpreted for Pharaoh. In that interpretation, is, uh, God told Pharaoh through Joseph that there will be seven years of plentiful harvest. And then after that, seven years of famine where there will be no crop. And therefore, Joseph, and therefore, Pharaoh has made Joseph the second most powerful person in Egypt after him. So that Joseph will be the governor of the land to gather all the produce in the seven years of plenty. And true enough, on the eighth year, famine fell upon the land. And the famine is not only severe in Egypt, but over the whole earth. And not just all the Egyptians, but all the families of the earth have to come to Egypt to buy grain during the famine. And they have to come to one person to buy grain, which is Joseph, because only he has food to sell. Therefore, Joseph was now, at that time, was in a great position of power. All is well for Joseph, but things are not the same for Jacob, for his father Jacob and his 11 sons 
back in Canaan. Because like everybody else, they were running out of food because of famine. They would die if they could not get any grain. And this situation for Jacob's family poses a big problem for our story in Genesis so far. Because we've seen that God has previously promised Abraham and then Jacob that out of them will come great nations and many offspring. But this promise of God will not be fulfilled if a family cannot survive this great famine. Therefore, Jacob sent his ten sons to Egypt to buy grain. He said in verse 42, verse 2, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there. They will may live and not die. And so the ten brothers obey their father Jacob and went down to Egypt. And as they travel to Egypt, if you're following the, book, the story of Genesis, you can feel that there's a tension that's building up. Because 20 years ago, the ten brothers have sold Joseph into slavery in Egypt. And now they're going to meet him as the second most powerful figure in the land. What will happen when the brothers meet Joseph? And so we read here in verse 6 that the brothers came to Joseph and they were bowing down before him with their faces to the ground. And when Joseph saw them, he recognized them immediately. But the brothers could not recognize him at all. That was probably because Joseph was still a teenager when they last saw him 20 years ago. And also because Joseph was now wearing an Egyptian clothes, speaking an Egyptian language. And when Joseph recognized the brothers, he remembered the dream, the dreams that he dreamt 20 years ago, where the wheat bundles of the ten brothers of the brothers bound down to Joseph's bundle. Remember that dream back in Genesis 37? That dream was fulfilled exactly as Joseph had dreamt. The, the brothers are now bowing down to him. They are under his authority. And we can be sure that Joseph remembered the atrocious evil that the brothers did to him, where they sold him off as a slave and even attempted to kill him. What would Joseph do to these brothers who are under his mercy now? Will he forgive them? Or will he seek to exact revenge on them? And so we read in verse 7 that Joseph treated them like strangers and he spoke roughly to them. And in verse 9, he accused them saying, You are spies. You have come to seek the nakedness of the land. And Joseph continued to accuse them, continued to interrogate them until he found out that his brother Benjamin and his father is still alive back in Canaan. Well, Benjamin was, was Joseph's only real brother, for they are of the same mother, Rachel. Whereas the, the other ten were just half-brothers. And when the, brothers came, when the ten brothers came to buy grain in Egypt, Benjamin was not with them. And therefore, Joseph wanted to know where his younger brother is and, and how is his father. And so, part of the interrogation and accusation of Joseph worked in order to find out more about his family about Benjamin and his father. And after finding out Benjamin was still alive, he wanted to see him. And so he continued to accuse them for being spies so that he had a reason to detain one of them, Simeon, and force the other nine brothers to bring Benjamin back to Egypt. And in the process, Joseph made life very difficult for the ten brothers. 
he treated them as spies, and he actually detained all of them for the whole three days. He treated them harshly and, and even threatened their very lives. He said in verse 20, Bring your brothers to me so that your words will be verified and you will not die. At this moment, are you wondering why Joseph was treating the brothers in this way? Well, we know that later on in chapter 45, he will eventually forgive the brothers. But at this moment, was Joseph punishing them, giving them a taste of their medicine? Or was Joseph merely testing them, whether they are sorry for their previous wrongdoings and whether they will continue in their wicked ways? Uh, look at how Joseph was trying to test them. He captured one brother, Simeon, and sent the other nine back to bring Benjamin to see whether they will actually come back for Simeon or they will forsake Simeon and not come back at all, just like how they were forsaken Joseph 20 years ago. The narrative, but we do not know the intention of Joseph at this moment. The narrator of Genesis did not tell us clearly whether he is testing them, punishing them, or it could well be both, both. But what we do know was the response of the brothers. They really thought that it was a direct punishment from God. They felt distressed by this situation. And they said to one another in verse 21, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, who is Joseph, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben said in verse 22, Did I not tell you not did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. And so we see that through this situation, through the distress they were in, they finally realized what they did to Joseph was so wrong. And I think it was through the attribution, the retribution that God exacted on them through Joseph, whether intentionally or not. They have finally come to terms with the great evil they have done 20 years ago. And what we see here, as well as time and time again in the Old Testament, is that any wickedness or evil done before the sight of God will surely receive the punishment of God. God will hand out the retribution, whether or not those who are punished realize it consciously. And the lessons from the Old Testament time and time again was that we must realize our guilt before God before the Holy God. We must seek His forgiveness and mercy. Sometimes in our lives, sometimes in our lives, problems or, or troubles will come our way that make us realize our wrongdoing in the past, just as what happened to the brothers. But we should not wait until that happened. We should be reminded by the words of God that punishment for evil will surely come sooner or later, with a certain punishment coming on the last judgment day. Therefore, we should constantly examine our lives as people of God and, confuse our, and confess our guilt before Him. Well, going back to our story in Genesis, after that, the nine brothers were sent back to Canaan without their brother Simeon, bringing back grains to their father as well as bringing back the bad news. Uh, they told Jacob all that had happened, how they need to bring Benjamin back in order to save Simeon. However, Judah, Jacob refused, refused to let them take Benjamin because Benjamin was very dear to him. Uh, if you realize, if you turn to 
chapter 42, uh, verse 3, verse 4, when they when made the first trip, Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. And we see here the different treatment that Jacob gave to Benjamin as compared to the other ten brothers. He was willing to risk the life of the ten brothers, but not Benjamin. Why? Because Benjamin has now become his favorite son. After Joseph, who was his favorite son 20 years ago, has gone. Why were they his favorite son? Because they were both the sons of Rachel, his dearest wife. And now Benjamin was the only son of Rachel that was left. And so Jacob was so reluctant to let them take Benjamin. And so poor Simeon was left there by himself in Egypt. And between chapter 42 and 43, at least a few months' period has passed. And Jacob and the son did nothing to save their brother Simeon. And the picture we get from this period of gap was that Simeon was there left alone in the, in the prison while they were just eating away the grain that they bought from Egypt. And until finally there was no more food, until they faced starvation again. And then only they thought about Egypt. And then only Jacob spoke out and said to them in chapter 43, verse 2, Go again, buy us a little food. Uh, as if everything that they told him he has forgotten. But then Judah reminded the father about what they told him previously. Judah said in verse 3 of chapter 43, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother, which is Benjamin, is with us. Judah said that they would not go and risk being killed by the man if Jacob did not allow them to bring Benjamin. And so Judah made this, made this pledge to Jacob in verse 8. He says, send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also your little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. And so with a heavy heart, Jacob reluctantly allowed the nine brothers to take Benjamin to Egypt simply because the situation was desperate. If, they did not, if he did not allow Benjamin to go with them, they would all die anyway due to the famine. And so we read in verse 15, the brothers again make a second trip to Egypt. They arose and went down to Egypt. And again, they now stood before Joseph. And when Joseph saw Benjamin again after the gap of 20 years, he was overwhelmed with joy but he did not want to reveal his identity yet. And so we read in verse 30, Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and come out, and controlling himself, and he spoke to the brothers again. And after seeing Benjamin, Joseph decided to throw a dinner feast for all his 11 brothers and to his brother's surprise. And they were set at different tables and food were taken to the 11 brothers. And this is what we read in verse 34. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were married with him. Do you realize something interesting here? Benjamin was given special treatment. His portion was five times as much as the others. And before that, we already see how Benjamin was favored 
by, his, by their father. And now he is favored by this man from Egypt. How will the other nine brothers react to this? It sounds like deja vu again of Joseph who was being favored in front of them. And therefore Joseph continued to test the brothers. In the next morning after they drank and married after the dinner feast, Joseph did this to them. We read in chapter 44, verse 1. Then he commanded the stewards of his house. He says, Fill the man's sack with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money into the mouth of his sack. And then he says this in verse 2, And put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, which is Benjamin, with his money for the grain. See what Joseph is doing here? He wanted to set a trap for the brothers. He wants to accuse Benjamin of stealing so that he can capture him alone and wanted to see how the brothers would react to this. And so when Joseph sent a steward to accuse them of stealing, this was what happened uh, in verse 8. The brothers said to the steward, How could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die. And then the steward say, replied in verse 10, Let it be as you say, He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. And so, with tension rising, in verse 11, they unpack their sacks. In verse 11 it says, Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack, and he searched, beginning with the elders and ending with the youngest. And a cup was found in Benjamin's sack. It was in Benjamin's sack. And then in verse 13, they, they tore their clothes. Well, don't think that they are tearing their clothes as if to show their muscles, like, like how. But, you know, tearing their clothes here means they were, they were very sorrowful and sad. That was a culture there to tear their clothes, to show their sorrowful, sorrow, sorrow. What would the brothers do? They said that those with the cup was found would die. And the stable said it should be their servant. Benjamin alone was guilty of the crime, whereas the rest could go home, according to the steward. They could just go away with all the food and money back to, Ke- back to Canaan, to Jacob, leaving Benjamin alone to be the servant, to suffer whatever fate is facing him. You see the situation here? Benjamin was again only their half-brother. Again, he was favoured by their father and even by Joseph, who was unknown to them. There must be some kind of temptation of jealousy and envy again towards Benjamin. There must be this temptation again to just leave him alone and go back to Canaan without, uh, without, without Benjamin, as they did to Joseph 20 years ago. They could simply go home again to their father and make up a story, just like what they did 20 years ago, and make the father who showed favoritism anyway to suffer loss of his own, and they will suffer no loss at all. Earlier, we see that they have already repented, in one sense, realized their wrongdoing, or what they did to Joseph 20 years ago was wrong, that they did, what they did to Joseph was evil. But now, the same situation was presented before them again. It was like a second chance for them to see whether they would act differently. Will they get it right this time or get it wrong again? Having realized their guilt in Joseph's incident, will they now follow up this realization with a true repentance of their wickedness 
by not doing the same to Benjamin. Amazingly, the brothers got it right this time, at the second time, as represented by Judah. Judah spoke out and said this to Joseph in chapter 44, verse 32. He says, For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy, to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord. And let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil they will find my father. Here we see Judah took responsibility for Benjamin. And more importantly, he showed his filial piety towards his father. He could not bear to lie to his father again and see his sorrow if he learned of the fate of Benjamin. He did not want any harm to come to Jacob, his father. And so he offered to be the slave of Joseph, taking the place of Benjamin, his half-brother, the one who was favored by his father, so that he could go back to his family. We see an amazing turn represented by Judah here. His hatred, Judah's hatred and jealousy towards his brother Joseph 20 years ago has now turned into care and love for his Benjamin. 20 years ago when he would only care for himself and not care for his father, now he was devoted to serve his father and ensure that no harm will come to him. That was, how, that was what is meant for Judah to truly repent of his wrongdoing 20 years ago. And the same can also be said for all of us who have sinned against God. If we truly repent of our wrongdoing, if we are truly repentant before God, then we will not do the same thing again. And what we will do is we will seek to love our Heavenly Father instead. And we will seek to love those around us, even at our own expense. And so when, when Joseph realized that Judah has truly repented, he broke down in tears when he heard those words. He realized what they have, realized of their turnaround as they sought to protect Benjamin. Therefore, he forgave them completely. He revealed his identity and he reconciled with them. And this is what we read in chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out for me. And in verse 2, he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And then Joseph said to his brother in verse 3, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Well, you could have imagined what shock was the brothers uh, to hear what this man revealed to them, that, that they could not really take in uh, what Joseph said to them. And therefore, Joseph needed to say a second time, Come near, please. Come near to me. I'm really your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And so Joseph sought to reassure them that at, at that moment, he truly has no intention to punish them or to seek revenge. He has fully forgiven them, and he wanted them to be reconciled to him again. And then Joseph said this most remarkable sentence uh, in Genesis, in chapter 45, verse 5. And he said to the brothers, and now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you saw me here. For God has sent me before you to preserve life. 
For the famine has been in the land these two years, and yet there are five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And then he concludes in verse 8, So it was not you who sent me here, but God. It was a truly remarkable statement by Joseph. Well, although it was true that the ten brothers were fully responsible for their wicked actions, but despite that, God was in sovereign control over the course of history. But in God's sovereignty, He has caused this incident to be a way of pointing for the, in the to be a way of providing for the family of Jacob in this period of great famine. God was so sovereign that Joseph could say it was God who ultimately sent him there to be their provider. It was not their brothers who sent him. The brothers who merely wanted to get rid of him. It was truly remarkable for Joseph to say this, despite all the sufferings that he went through, uh, and despite the exaltation of his status at that time. He did not see himself as a center of importance. You see, he did not say to the brothers, God has sent me here so that you all can bow down to me and fulfill the dreams that I had 20 years ago. But he said, God has sent me here so that the family of Israel can continue. And Joseph could see what God was doing in his, in his big plan ultimately, that it was not just to make himself prosper, but to fulfill the promises that he made to Abraham and Jacob. And, and, he, could see that not be, and he could see that great plan of God because he was not obsessed with himself. He knew that he was not the center of the universe, but God is. And it is God's plan that matters most, not his own success. Isn't that something we can all learn from Joseph? When it comes to discerning what's the most important thing in our life, what's the thing that we should focus on? Uh, many times, we, even as Christians, can be very, self, can be very self-centered. We think only about the things that God has done for us personally. And because of that, we don't see the bigger picture of what God is really doing for the whole universe. And we fail to rejoice in the bigger and better plan of God. Therefore, as we learn from Joseph, we should always seek uh, to see the big picture plan of God and that we can marvel and rejoice in what God is doing. And we should keep the big picture of God's plan in our mind, whether we are going up or down in our life. We are speaking about the big picture plan of God. What is His, what is his plan after all? Uh, we see here in Genesis, in the story of Genesis, that the plan of God was to make the offspring of Abraham and Jacob numerous and so caused them to be the great nation Israel. There was just a partial plan of God in the Old Testament. As God progressively revealed more of His plan, as He shows in the New Testament, His ultimate plan was to bring about the coming of Jesus Christ through the nation Israel. The partial plan back then in Genesis was to keep the Israelites from dying from the famine. But His ultimate plan was to keep the people of all nations from perishing in their sins. As we read just now in our gospel reading, uh, where Caiaphas prophesied that Jesus had to die uh, so that the nation would not perish. In Genesis here, God sustained the physical life of Israel through Joseph, but his ultimate plan was to provide eternal life to all through salvation from Jesus Christ. And we can see how the story of Joseph points towards Jesus the brothers of Joseph did evil against him, but God made that to make him to be the provider 
uh, of physical life for the, for the family. Forward 2000, 2000, 2000 years later, the, the Jewish leaders were doing wickedly, acting wickedly against Jesus, sending him to the cross. But God used that as his great plan to save the nation and the whole world. There was a great plan of God that was starting all the way from Genesis and fulfilled ultimately uh, in New Testament in Jesus. Therefore, we must realize that the great plan of God was ultimately to provide eternal life through salvation in Jesus. And we must make it the center of our life instead of preoccupied with our own ambitions. And this means that we must first ensure that we ourselves are in this plan of God, that we turn to Jesus Christ ourselves and find eternal life in order that we do not die and perish in our sins. As I said earlier in our sermons, we should all realize our guilt before God that we have done wrong things against Him. Finally, knowing the big picture plan of God also means that we are to realize what role can we play in helping others to find their place in God's plan, in God's history. Which means we, we are to rejoice in the going out of the gospel to all nations and not just be obsessed with our own success. And this is what we should be reminded uh, from, us, from our passage today of giving God's, uh, keeping God's picture plain in our mind. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that through this uh, history in Genesis, we learn about sins, guilt, and repentance. And we learn about how you continue to fulfill your promises through your sovereignty over human affairs. They ultimately end up in Jesus Christ being the provider of our eternal salvation. And thank you, Father, for reminding us of the need to turn to Jesus for your gracious provisions of eternal life. Help us to learn from Joseph, to see your plan for our world, that we may live according to this great plan. And we ask this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.